When it comes to conveying emotion on screen, there's no better chemistry than a director and his film composer. There are a few who have always worked together consistently. Steven Spielberg and John Williams, Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan, and you can add in there Barry Jenkins and Nicholas Bertel. Bertel received an Oscar nomination for creating a unique emotional text score for Jenkins' Oscar-winning Best Picture, Moonlight. And today, both of them talk about their shorthand for the director's latest, If Beale Street Could Talk, on Crew Call. Tell me about your collaboration in the sense of what, let's start with what, Barry, what you love about Nick. Because what he did on Moonlight was very unique when it comes to music mm-hmm. um, in terms of how he mixed it. And it made for such a, a sublime score. What sound were you looking for this time around? Um, you know, this time around, I was looking, you know, I, I never know really what I'm looking for. You know, I, I like to give Nick uh, a starting point. You know, and the starting point on this one was was jazz. You know, it was jazz and it was brass. You know, those things rhyme. Um, you know, that was the starting point. But what I love about working with Nick is it's always an exploration. And and where we start, um, I think we both, at this point, we know it's not where we're going to end up. Um, but it's always a very uh, open process of exploration. And I think that's like, that's always been, it's funny. I was listening to a track this morning and I was trying to figure, I was trying to remember, how did we make that sound? I was listening Which to one, uh, yeah. uh, the tombs, actually. Oh, the tombs. You yeah. know, the do, 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 do. Oh, yeah. I was, I was yeah. trying to remember, like, what is that? Yeah. You know? That's a. Uh... Sorry, we're going to go sorry, on yeah. a tangent real quick. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was like, what, that's what like, that? that's uh, one of the kick drums uh-huh. that I took and I uh, kind of muffled it a bit and then I overlaid it on itself for that pulsation mm-hmm. and then I bent it so it was like in a different. So it doesn't sound like a kick drum. It just sounds like this, like almost like air pressure. Well, what it sounds like is yeah. it's, it's to me what it sounds like is a heart valve opening yeah. and closing. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, which is how it's meant to. And function. and it makes you. I think when we were first wor- working on it, that sequence uh, in Hayward's office, mm-hmm. um, there was something about feeling the intensity, like in like the like what would that actually feel like if you were there? Well, and what I like about this is this has nothing to do with jazz. Nothing no. to do with jazz. So the starting point, this this track we're talking about right now, could not be further removed from it, you know. But it's still organically uh, a part of the film and a part of the process. Now, in on Moonlight, there was a chopped and screwed p- process. Mm-hmm. That was the mixing process, and and I, I was as I'm listening to the score, I'm thinking, okay, doesn't sound like a lot of that's going on. But now you've said you were. You had some some interesting mixing going on. Talk about why that's not going on in this, you know, in this score. Well, was, I think what was interesting about Moonlight, and and I, you know, for what Barry was saying too about process. I mean, I think the key on any film is, you know, I think especially for a composer is trying to figure out what is that musical landscape, and it could be anything. And I think you really don't know. And this is what I love about working with Barry is that. You just don't know until you start putting stuff up to the picture how it's going to feel. There's nothing intellectual or scientific that you can do beforehand which will give you any insight into that sort of magical alchemy that happens when you actually put music to picture. And I think you know the the staying open to what that is sometimes 
things do work. Like, you know, on Moonlight, we we early on had this conversation about, you know, Barry loves chopped and screwed music where you take a recording and you, you know, you slow it down and the pitch goes down and you get this incredibly rich sonic texture. And, you know, it, it happened to work with the film when we, uh, you know, like had this idea of what if we did that to my own recordings and and you know pieces I was writing, um, but you don't know I think until you do it. And on Beale Street, I think there was a, a moment about midway through the process where I had been writing music that was very that you know there was brass. We had discovered that you know from that brass we felt something was missing, so we added strings into the equation, and that felt like it resonated with I think the love you know, the, the, the focus on love that the film really explores. Um, but there was this world of sound, which was the kind of like the underworld, you know, it was the darkness, it was the injustice, it was the, the depths um, of experience. And I think that, you know, there was this weekend where we got together and we were working in my studio and we sort of said to each other, you know, there aren't any rules. Like, you know, on Moonlight, we had explored Chopped and Screwed. That wasn't the idea for this film, Has not that's not connected to this film. Mm -hmm. But explore you know saying to yourself there's no rules and you know that was when i think i started saying well what if i just what if i did this and what if i did this and we actually did much more extreme audio and musical experimentation on this than oh, we did one, on yeah. yeah i mean it was like it was like to a much farther degree um you know moonlight was very focused on that kind of idea of chopped and screwed whereas in this it was like kind of anything anything and everything that we mm -hmm. we felt so barry said jazz on Moonlight, one of your jumping off points was, what's the musical sound of poetry? In this, is it, was it, does it, does it go back to jazz or was there something else that you were, that you were feeling when you were watching this? I think at the very beginning, you know, after, you know, having read the book, after reading the script um, and talking to Barry about these ideas, uh, you know, let's, let's set, what is the sound of brass and thinking about, you know, I'm from New York and I think there is this idea of what is the sound of New York like between the 40s and through the 70s, let's say, you know, and there is this sound that just, I think, comes to you of there's horns and there's mid-century jazz and what does that mean? And knowing Barry and knowing the way we work together, what's so exciting is that's this like landscape that we say to ourselves, okay, what's in that? You know, so I start saying, okay, trumpets, flugelhorns, um, cornet, maybe some French horns, maybe mutes, maybe exploring what that sounds like. And I just start from there. But I think for me, it was about having it not necessarily be just, you know, just jazz. I wasn't trying to say, oh, I'm going to write music like it's from the 19th. You know, I wasn't saying that. I was actually saying, I want, you know, this is this world I want to explore and find something that feels like it's right for the picture. So that ended up, I think, being kind of this two worlds where it's, it has jazz harmonies, but they're actually written out very classically in some ways and they're recorded in that way. So I think it has, you know, like I have these sort of seventh chords that you might hear in jazz, of course, but then they're played on an octet of cellos. So, you know, it's kind of like, it's this mixture of, of, of influences, I think. So when do you first hear the music? Is it is it in your first meeting? You give him some, you know, you tell him some direction. He gets an idea. He plays on the piano. 
and, and maybe you, you talk. What's tell me about your pro? Tell me more about your process. You know, on Moonlight it was different than on, on Beale Street. You know, on Moonlight, um, I think Nick started writing uh, writing music to the script. To be honest, uh, even before seeing footage, uh, with this one, you know, the footage and the music kind of went went hand in hand. Um, you know what I like is we'll start out. I'll give Nick an idea. I was like, I'm hearing horns. I'm hearing horns. And the first piece you sent me was the, the Harlem Aria. Harlem I guess Aria. is what it's called. Yeah. On the soundtrack now, which is just um, I think is it trumpet? It's uh, trumpets and flugelhorns. Yeah, yeah, it's just trumpets and flugelhorns, yeah. um, and it's really evocative. the next piece that you sent Um, and what the process is is Nick is sometimes writing to picture but sometimes he's just like writing to a feeling and then the track will come to me and I'll sit down with the editors and we'll go maybe here maybe there but what I love about our process is you know I'll then come in with Nick and sit down and and Nick I, I like I use this term he likes to you know show me how the sausage is made and so if there's a track that's successful, maybe the instrument that's, you know, the seventh most important out of 10, I go, oh, this makes me feel a certain kind of way. Let's feature this in another piece of score. And then Nick will then take that stem and then start writing a completely new piece from that. And we just sit there and we we watch the movie and we pull pieces apart. And slowly, um, because it's all built of the same DNA, the score starts to take shape. So it's kind of exhilarating about that is that, you know, we don't necessarily know how all these threads are going to weave together, but everything, like Barry was saying, has this DNA. So, for example, like some of the really extreme, uh, you know, almost like rumbling sounds that are in the scene with Daniel and Fani mm-hmm. when Daniel's talking about his experience in prison, some of those scenes are actually built from some of the cello that's in the track Eros, which is the scene when Tish and Fani are making love. So you have this, so it creates this almost like musical symbol where you have this love and then you see how the world is, can distort that, you know? And I think you, even if, if it doesn't register consciously, I think there's an, uh, there's a subconscious layer for all of us that I think we do connect things that we don't even realize. Talk more about Eros um, because that's, that's throughout, and um, but talk about building that 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 cue that and, track, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that piece was something where for the for the it, it, it you first see it in the scene when they when they first make love, and um, we knew we we wanted something that had that was rhythmic mm-hmm. and that was sort of pulsing in a way.
know, I, on each project, there are a couple scenes where Barry will, will upfront, he'll just say, okay, look, this is, this is going to be an important one. <laughs> so just, no just, pressure, no pressure. Just, no be pressure. Aware, just be aware. <laughs> so that was one where I said, you know, we needed something. And, and actually, it took a while, I think, for me. I, I, you know, sometimes with those, I, I would rather let the ideas almost like gestate for a little while um, and explore maybe more low-hanging fruit. Because there are some sequences, for example, where, let's say, the melodies or harmonies from the initial Harlem Aria I'd written that, you know, it felt like it would lay out in certain places and it connected more readily to certain things. With that sequence, um, it felt like it needed a new idea there. It wasn't going to be something that was actually you know, related to some of those early ideas. And um, I tried a lot of different things, you know, myself. And, um, and, and but when I showed that one to Barry, um, I remember you sent it to Joy and she, I think everyone, you felt it was working. Yeah, oh yeah, okay. Okay. oh yeah, oh yeah. There's two different philosophies when it comes to scores, or at least I think they're, I usually hear of some. There, there are those scores where you walk out of the film and it's with you. You hear it, you continue to hear it. And then there's the more subconscious score where, and that's a style that, that some composers and filmmakers have. What is it, what does music mean to you and where do you not want score in the film? Um, you know, it, it's it's hard to know. You know, both in Moonlight and in Bill Street, there were places where we had score for much of the process and then decided to to pull it out. And so I think the film talks to you, the characters talk to you. And they kind of dictate, you know, where score is and isn't. You know, the scene with that Nick was just talking about, where we kind of repurpose some elements of Eros. Uh, when Brian Tyree Henry shows up as the, as the character Daniel, this thing that's a symbol of hope has become a symbol of torture um, and despair. You know, that scene. You know, we weren't sure if, if we were going to have score, and then it was yeah. when it was clear that we were going to have score. Nick did this really lovely thing, um, where we had the Miles Davis track "Blue and Green" playing. Um, in the room, like an actual needle drop that's playing um, in the room. And as the conversation starts to spin and pivot and the score comes in, typically you turn the needle drop off. But, you know, Nick and I were sitting there. This is what I love about our process because I don't think before that moment, yeah. either one of us thought that we would do this. Nope. But I said to Nick, oh, we should play the Miles Davis. Let's Let's use that as an instrument in the score. And so totally. the way that song goes into reverb and starts panning around the room, you know, that's Nick taking this thing and using it basically like as an instrument, you know, as another element um, in the score. Uh, I say all that to say that my approach, especially with these two films, has been that the movies exist as an extension of the main character's consciousness. And so I want the experience to be immersive for the audience, you know? And so I do think that the score in Moonlight and in Bill Street should be the kind of score that's not background. You know, it should be very much a part of the character, a part of the tone, a part of the theme. And so when the movie ends, yeah, you should still hear Eros in your head somewhat. You should certainly hear Philia, you know, certainly in your head. Have, yeah. 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 And I think that, you know, working with Barry too, this focus for me, which has been really, really instrumental for me too, and just how I think about composing is this idea of it really is about feelings. You know, um, I think at at base, right, you know, creating art, but for me, you know, writing music, you know, there are a lot of technical elements that we all learn to to find our craft. But ultimately, I think it's about communicating feelings and the focus on that about what are you really trying to say with something and thinking in that very, very specific way. You know, like I remember at the beginning of the the opening of the film mm -hmm. when Tish and Fani are, are walking in this beautiful s sequence. Um, 
um, you know, it's this feeling of joy. Mm-hmm. And Barry's saying that to me, you know, it's like, it's like there's, there's a joy, there's a joyfulness here, you know? And I, I think I had an earlier piece there and there wasn't joy. And I, mm-hmm. we talked about it and Barry, and Barry was like, you know, we need joy. There needs to be more joy. And, and it's so interesting thinking about like you, how language, like what are the gradations of some of these words and what, you know, what does certain words like correlate to with sounds and how does that link up somehow and it's totally mysterious i mean there's no there's no right answer to that but 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 i do think what i hear and everything you're saying right now is how is that going to end up being background music it just can't you know that's a very active thing you know were there any inspirations as far as certain types of jazz yeah that that worked that worked its way um into the score itself i mean yeah i think that you know Knowing some of the needle drops that Barry, you know, Barry's very, very specific with those types of things. And early on, I mean, we we did talk about the this idea of, you know, like New York and jazz and what does that mean? Um, but that being said, there weren't like there weren't any specific tracks or ideas where Barry's like, oh, this, you know, I, I would love it to sound like X or something like that. I think actually most of the time, if not all the time, Barry's Barry's note to me is don't don't be influenced by anything. <laughs> he yep. says, you know, because I think, you know, finding finding something new, um, I think does require that sort of like leap of faith of where where are we going, you know, and what and what and trying things out. I mean, I think for us it's more about going into that into the darkness and saying, What what do we feel here? And just trying stuff, you know, and I'll I'll try lots of things. I'm willing to like put a track up and you it's know all, it's always <laughs> strange how we'll we'll spend like a couple weeks just like spinning around in the yeah. dark and then yeah. there'll be these two days where it's like holy shit that's six cues like yeah. how did that happen you know yeah. it's because you know the film was evolving this was an interesting process where the score evolved alongside the film and so there are pieces of music in this film that wouldn't have been possible in the first four months of post-production that could only have happened in that fifth month of production because the film was taking a shape that was then inspiring Nick you know yeah. and I think the last like three or four cues in the film you know, those things came just kind of like out of the ether. You they, know, like Mama gets to Puerto Rico, oh, Storage, yeah. Philia, you know, oh, you yeah. enter. It was just like, where did that come from? Where did that? It was like the film has been living with us long enough now that, that this music's ready to be born. Exactly. I had heard that there was a slightly different ending. There was. And yeah. I'm, I'm curious, how did that impact the music? I un, um... You know, actually the opposite, the other way around. And, okay. and uh, I'll tip my hat to this man, the other way around, um, the music impacted um, the, the new ending, to be honest. Uh, there was an ending that was much more, and much more fidelity to the way the novel ends. Um, but I, I think over the course of post-production, and I, I love this author, I love this novel, I started to realize that I needed to take possession of the film's ending. You know, the book is the book and the film is the film. And so I, I grew more comfortable with the idea of altering the ending. And, you know, Nick and I, we're just always just sending things back and forth. You know, it's, it's best when we're in the same room, yeah. uh, but sometimes we're just sending things back and forth. And Nick had been just continually, I don't know why, because you were so damn busy. He just kept working on these things. And I don't even know if you knew that we were doing this new ending or I didn't send him footage of the new ending, but he had been sending me uh, this music. And as Joy and I were putting the new ending into the film, um, it it wasn't taking. It just wouldn't take. It wouldn't take. And then finally, um, finally, Philia was there. Yeah. And I was like, oh. It's like, oh, this is one of those things where the music showed me the images. The music showed me the images. Because we do these close-ups, um, both in Moonlight and in Beale Street, where the actors are looking directly at the camera. 
they're not scripted and we don't know where they're going to go in the edit. And so the last two direct-to-camera shots where Tish and Fanya are looking directly at the audience, they weren't in the film at the time that Nick wrote this piece. Yeah. And then the, and then we were you know, editing and trying to get to this new ending. And then I put Philly on and I was like, oh, Joy, that's it. I was like, that's it. And we, we put the, the piece in and put the shots in and it was like, done. <laughs> done. So it was the, the music affected the new ending, not the new ending affected the music. say on the from the musical side of what I was thinking it, I'm, you know again as far as like how things evolve over time I remember making and I told Barry, I mean I made a note to myself early on there was a piece um, which was brass and it was a theme that actually we had used early on that actually opened and closed the film at one point mm-hmm. um, and which then sort of vanished from the film it didn't feel like it was working somehow you know um, and what was interesting was I made a note early on It'd be really interesting. Was what it is a, that? A minor piece? Is yeah, exactly. The a, exactly. I'm trying yeah. to remember it in my head. That was the one. It was. It was the just the pure brass. It was like mm-hmm. the. We, it was the, the bonus. Like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just remember, brass. Remember, just brass at the beginning. And used to open it, and close the film. The same piece of music. That's exactly, right. Exactly. Oh, I, I know the story you know you're telling. <laughs> this was so cool. You want to tell it? You can tell. You can tell. So, so you know, Nick's in New York. I'm in LA, and the the journey of this film post production was quite long. It was like six seven months. And one of the very first pieces of music he sent was this piece called A Minor Piece. And we used to have this mirror opening and closing. The walk that they do at the beginning, they did that same walk at the end and the dialogue changed. It was interesting, but not so interesting. Uh, that wasn't the ending that we switched off of. That was way, way early we came off that ending. But Nick and I both love that cue. And this is where I'll give all, all credit to this man. <laughs> it it kind of went away. It wasn't the opening and the closing. And then just out of the blue, it was like April or May, Nick sent over this piece, and it was the same thing, but it was played on cello. And it was just like, I mean, this is radio, so you can't see my face right now, but <laughs> I have my hand on my heart because it just, I mean, I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, it opened up the whole third act. It like opened up, the, it changed the entire soundscape, you know, because it goes from that piece when she's going through uh, the, the pregnancy pains, that mom gets to Puerto Rico, it's that, yeah. and then it's philia, just like, <laughs> but this is what I mean about about Nick showing being willing to show me how the sausage is made. It's like this was a piece that was like it was dead, you know? It was like not in the film. We had written it off. It's like this doesn't fit. But Nick just keeps tooling, keeps tooling. It's like, oh, you know, my wife is this world class celloist, you know. Hey, Caitlin, come take a spin at this, you know? And then it just opens up this just this whole thing. What I love about that too is uh, a minor, a minor piece is what it's called. Right? Yeah, that was the original. Yeah, that's jazz. That's purely jazz. You know, brass orchestration, jazz. 
But then five months later, now that the movie's revealed itself, it's like, oh, the idea was correct. It's just the execution, you know, and now let's do it with strings, you know? And it's so fascinating how that changes the feeling, but it's the same thing. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the crazy magic of, of music in a lot of ways, too. It's like, same notes. You know, but just on the timbre of a different you know, instrument. I remember the first different. time I heard that 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 bass cello. Yeah, you know? yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. The bass note. Yeah. But, but but now I have the original with the horns in my exactly. head. Exactly. And, exactly. and then of course exactly. Nick put horns on top of it. You know, also <laughs> that was the final. Exactly. That was the final realization. Was oh, this piece actually now now that we're in the third act, mm -hmm. this piece can bring these things together. Mm. So you have brass living with the strings and they're really interacting now you know mm -hmm. um there's brass and strings at different points in the film there's brass and strings even in the beginning but it's like, what's the seventh chord thing you're talking about uh so basically like the the feeling of a seventh chord is where like most you know most basic music theory you have like a triad which is just three notes with seventh chords you add a fourth note to that chord and especially in 20th century jazz that gives a feeling of you know a lot of jazz harmonies based around seventh chords i mean bach used seventh chords all the time i mean throughout hundreds of years you know i mean seventh chords are always part of harmony but they give a different they can give a, an extra flavor to things and they can also a lot of musical transitions and dissonance and consonants goes through seventh chords, you know? It's just, so like the opening chord that you hear um, is actually, it's actually it's actually a ninth chord mm -hmm. <laughs> on that, where you actually have a ninth on top. And that was one of the things that I was doing throughout was in, you know, one of the most beautiful things I think about 20th century jazz harmonies is that they explored the upper elements of chords, you know? So if, if old school harmony was, you know, the, first the third and the fifth you know you just have a basic triad then you add the seventh then you can add the ninth then you can add the eleventh then you can add the third and you get these chords that are very rich you know yeah, so. it's funny. i'm going out tangents now i remember when we were in ghent and yeah. you were saying how there's no brass in moonlight you said there's one i remember what it is it's the French horn. In the middle, middle of the world. world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I remember. I just remember. Exactly. There's just one French there's just one remember. French horn in the middle. That's Maybe because it, yeah, you yeah. mentioned the high. Exactly. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's holding there. Um, but act, one of the things that was so exciting from the very beginning about Beale Street was that the first thing Barry said was horns and brass. And, you know, along those lines of explore, you know, viewing films as new journeys and new adventures to explore. I have never really had that chance to explore brass like this. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've I've worked a lot with strings. I'm a pianist. I've worked done a lot with the piano. Um, but brass is something where, you know, it's 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 a, an incredible world of sound and you just don't always get that opportunity. Well, you go back to one of your earlier sometimes uh, if we're at Nick's place in New York, we will go out to the piano and Nick will play harmonies for me. Like I I don't speak music the way Nick does, like not, you know, um not at the level of detail that, that you do. So I speak in feelings, you know? And sometimes the piano is nice because Nick yeah. can literally show me, this is yeah. this is how this sounds, this is how this sounds. Um, and it's, uh, I think I've been developing my, my, my musical language. Oh, absolutely. You know, over the course of working with you. Oh, friend. and especially, I think we know what, what what we like to gravitate towards yeah. too. So those things can evolve from there. Mm -hmm. But um, But for me, you know, I find the most, it's that intersection of the two where, you know, some musical terminology is helpful. Just so, you know, for example, if we're talking about minor keys or major keys or, you know, um, you know, just general ideas of, of tempo, things like that. But 
beyond that, feelings really are everything, yeah. you know, and, and knowing, you know, it's like going back to, to Moonlight, to the swimming sequence where, you know, you know, Boy, knowing that, that we're, one. you know what I mean? Knowing that we're not going, you know, that I had approached one. that sequence as, that was anyway, yeah. Why was that? Tell, <laughs> tell us about that. It's kind of what Nick said at the beginning. There's always one or two points in the film. And it kind of goes back to your question earlier, which is, you know, is the, is the music passive or is it active? You know, I think in both these films, the music uh, needs to be very, quite active at certain points. It needs to reflect, you know, the character. And that was a, that was a moment uh, that was so important to the success of the narrative. You know, it was important to remembering Mahershal Ali, you know, when you're an hour beyond, you know, his last appearance in the film, that scene needed to really stick. And I knew it couldn't just exist with the sound of waves and dialogue. It needed to have this this music you know, that could really communicate the feeling this kid has in his chest. And so, I mean, that was the last cue uh, that we created for, for Moonlight because it just it just took, I mean, it took everything. I mean... And my, and my, well, we went deep and what was amazing was that I, you know, I always think about that when you're working on these projects, your initial idea is it's okay if things don't work, you know, it's actually when things don't work that you discover what might work. And my initial idea was, was, was not the right direction. It was, you know, I wrote this piece that was sort of an orchestra. It was, it was F major. It was this like orchestral sort of development of Little's theme, actually. It was, that it was, you quite, heard. It was quite beautiful. It was, it was, be- <laughs> it was beautiful. It was, it was pretty. It's pretty. You know, it was pretty. And, there you go. It's pretty. It's pretty. And um, and I thought, you know, we're gonna take it, but it's, you know, it's Little's learning to swim. You know, this is memorable moment. Um, and Barry, he was in my studio, and he and he was just like. Nah, bro. <laughs> he was like, "This is a spiritual baptism." He's like, "It yeah. needs to be this. This is the beginning of the rest of his life. You know, this is that kind of a moment." And I was like, "Oh." And, and, and I was like, "You see those clouds? That's yeah. a storm coming in." <laughs> exactly. This is not. This isn't. This isn't an uplifting. This is actually. All you know, it has that intensity of feeling that, like Barry was saying, has to carry us through the rest of the And, and when I say it was tough, it wasn't like pushing a boulder, like uphill, you know, over 40 days in blazing sun. It was just, um, it was something that, it, it almost had to be like magic in a certain way. There wasn't a way to intellectually create that piece. And case in point, I don't think we've ever told the story, but I mean, that composition is basically Nick playing like live. Like we sat there for like all day just yeah. working on that one cue. We did. And I remember my one suggestion was open with the tremolos. Yeah. And once the tremolos yeah. were there, he just sat at the keyboard and and Nick kind of just like improvised that violin. He just improvised the whole thing. And then we went back and did it and with I, two yeah. or three more times. But that's yeah. like that, that demo, it's like a live demo. It was do you they, remember that? I do. There was this this No, granted, it had been like five months. No, no, we don't <laughs> just like but it was, beating our heads against the wall. We were, no, but it was interesting because that that idea, um, it felt like from what Barry was saying too, we needed something different there. And I think I'd always been fascinated with this, the, the feeling of very virtuosic arpeggios mm-hmm. on a violin. It was just, it's just a sound that I love. And I had this idea of, well, what if I combine the tremolos that we've been using in different parts of the film, that sound, that almost signifier with certain chords that feel like they might go with, with Arpeggios, and I just started exploring that in front of Barry, and uh, I have like a violin sound, you know, on my keyboard that I was just using, and wrote this whole piece. And then I remember I called Tim Fain, who is our amazing violinist, who was going to record this, and I said, you know, usually Tim can like, you know, 
in one second he can play something I send to him, you know? So I, I, you know, I wrote out the sheet music for it and I sent it over to him and Tim was like, you know, I need a few days on this. <laughs> he's yeah. like, this is, he's like, this is going to take me a little while. I gotta, and, 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 and to his credit, I mean, he did just such an incredible job. Um, he was away actually, and, and he recorded it and, and sent me that, uh, the stem, and uh, and it was amazing. I'd be curious to hear that, that early demo. I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah I'm very I'll curious to hear it. To very curious to hear it. Yeah, yeah. We have, that was, some of those tracks have this like, uh, you know, th there's like an archeology span of them. Yeah. yeah, 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 that was not a like noting, you know, let's sit on it for a couple of days. That was like, let's <laughs> like within an hour, that thing was born, you know? That but was, it took like five months. It yeah. took five months to get to that immediacy. And I think the kind of piece that it only could have happened last. You know, that, that was exactly. like the last piece we wrote for, for the film. Like only Philia. Could last. Like Philia, exactly. Like Philia. The next, what you're what, what you're working on next? Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're uh, developing Colson Whitehead's novel, The Underground Railroad, uh, into a limited series uh, at Amazon, um, which Nick and I are already starting to send some ideas <laughs> back and forth. Um, but yeah, early days. It's going to be uh, a lot of filming. I think it's like ten hours the the show, um, which means it'll have. Uh, many amazing opportunities for Mr. Patel to, to bring his musical chops uh, to the fore. Um, but yeah, we're getting started on that now. We'll shoot it next year. Um, I'm I'm wrapping up. the um, One of the, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremy Kleiner is, uh, is, is very, is if the, one of the people that no, brought no, this partnership. Jeremy, Jeremy Kleiner is oh. the reason yeah. this happened. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. What did you first hear of Nick's this is the thing. <laughs> we, is were, we were at this conference um, in Ghent, the World World Music, World Soundtrack World Awards. Soundtrack Awards yeah. We are at the World Soundtrack Awards, and we did a, a panel, just he and I. And then afterwards, a composer came up to us and was like, so am I to understand that you had never heard Nick's music before working with him on Moonlight? It didn't occur to me, but yeah, I'd never heard anything <laughs> that, Nick, that Nick had written or composed before hiring him for Moonlight. But here's the thing, though. It's, uh, it's, it wasn't about the past work. To me, it was about the vibe. Mm -hmm. And Nick just totally understood the script. He understood, you know, I could tell he could listen to me speak and he could translate that, you know, into musical terminology in a certain way. And it was just like the vibe, you know, and I feel the same way about Beale Street. Nothing about Moonlight is an, an indicator of the things that we're doing in Beale Street. And so to have heard something he created before Moonlight, I know that would have been pointless. I mean, maybe it would have been prudent to have listened to some of your music <laughs> I think I, before. I think I assumed you'd heard something. <laughs> I had heard nothing. I had heard nothing. But the vibe was amazing. Well, you that know? makes and, me and, even and more thankful that you went forward with, <laughs> with working with me. <laughs> yeah, but maybe Jeremy should have sent some of your music. I don't know. I don't know. But, but, but I think he knows how I operate. And it's all about vibe. All about vibe. And that was, and it really was Jeremy. I remember he, um, I was working on The Big Short at the time and I had had dinner with him. And at dinner, he got really emotional um, about this script that he was working on that he'd read um, uh, called Moonlight. And, you know, it was, he was so moved by it that it was, you know, I was like, oh my God, like, what? tell me about this script. And I read the script and I, I knew what he was, 
I knew what he was talking about at that point, you know. And I said, "Look, if if, there, if Barry is down to meet me, I, just keep me posted. <laughs> if there's any way, you know." Um, so yeah, it was all Jeremy. And, and then we made Yihu enter, which is <laughs> insane. So there you go. It took us all that all, way. All's, all, all's well. That, that ends well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.